Hi, and welcome to Facts and Blog and Podcast. Yeah, so, you know, I think it's funny. We did the, uh, you know, we did our talk back in March and just yeah. how stuff has progressed has been quite interesting. Uh, the world's changed <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode 24 of the Faxon blog and podcast. Today, we have a great guest. Uh, Dan Zimmerman is going to be back on with us. If you remember, Dan joined us for the Gun Run Pandemic episode back in March, uh, where our main topic of conversation was about all of the things that were happening in the spike in gun sales uh, throughout the country in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, a lot of stuff has happened since then. And if you're familiar with the truth about guns, uh, they are putting out content all the time that follows all of this, uh, plus general two-way community things, as well as gun reviews and so on. We're going to mention a couple of their articles in the episode today and give you all the, of the links at factsandfirearms.com slash blog on this episode page. Before we carry on today, I do want to remind you that just this week, we launched a new way that you could interact with the podcast. We'd love to answer some crowd questions, take your insights, comments, feedback, maybe even ideas for guests and topics. We'd love to hear it. You could email us at podcast at factsandfirearms.com. And uh, we'd love to have you as part of the show. One of the things we try to do on the podcast is make sure that we are making content that people of all ages in the gun community uh, can enjoy and enjoy together, be it as a family or just as an enthusiast. We do want to give you a heads up today that we are going to be talking about some of the protest rioting, uh, some of the civil unrest things that are happening. So if you want to scroll through the blog first before you watch the video or listen to the audio, you are more than welcome to do that. Again, you can find that at Facts and Fire firearms.com slash blog. Nothing explicit, but just want to give you a heads up for that. And let's carry on with our conversation with Dan. Well, Dan, thank you again for joining us. This is uh, your second time on the show, so a little bit of a glutton for punishment, but I I appreciate you being here. Uh, You guys, yourself, all your contributors always seem to have uh, just lots of content and a a really good pulse on kind of what's going on, um, you know, in, in the firearms community. Um, but for those, uh, for those folks who maybe don't know you or might be hearing about the truth about guns for the first time, if you want to mind just telling the folks who you are and, uh, kind of what, uh, uh, TTAG is all about. Sure. Um, we are, um, one of the largest, uh, gun blogs on the internet. Um, we're up there, number one, number two, number three, depending on time of year, what's going on. So, uh, um, seem to, uh, shuffle around that title occasionally with a couple of other, other blogs out there. Um, and we cover everything having to do with guns, um, politics, uh, gun control. We review guns, we write about uh, gun news. Um, and we've certainly been involved in, uh, the discussion about, uh, um, the, um, civil unrest that's gone on in uh, recent months and the, surge in violence of all types, uh, but uh, violence involving firearms, of course, too, in cities around the country. And um, we have about a million and a half to million seven uh, readers a month. Um, and uh, there, if you've ever been to our site, we've got a very engaged readership. Uh, yeah, our comment sure. section gets pretty wild and woolly sometimes. So yeah, and the, I mean the nice thing is, you know, one of the things I love about your site is there's there's new stuff every day, and it's not just like one thing. 
you know, it's, no. it's uh, multiple things, multiple contributors, yourself in, included. Um, you know, what I'd love to start with though, is, you know, we were, we were talking before we started recording today that when you were back on with us in March, you know, this was just yeah. at the beginning of the whole COVID pandemic, you know, places were just starting to lock down. Um, we were literally getting calls right before we started recording that first episode from dealers, like send us everything you got. You know, we mm -hmm. had sales guys helping local stores, you know, because they just couldn't even staff enough people to get in there. Um, and obviously we've seen now, you know, more background checks for firearms come through this year than any time in, in known history, really. You know, what has been, you know, your perception and from the folks you've talked to, you know, how are these gun stores doing? How are these, you know, suppliers doing? I mean, obviously we're in the same boat as a lot of them, you know, keeping things in stock and, and, and satisfying dealer back orders is, you know, quite the task right now with this run, but kind of what are you seeing on your side and what do you think has changed since our conversation in March? Uh, well, I, I think it's the same thing, you know, for a while there, things tended to start, we're starting to calm down. There was the initial surge of buying um, after the national emergency was uh, declared um, and then the whole Minneapolis thing hit, um, and, uh, the initial, um, anger, I think that everybody felt at what happened to George Floyd changed into civil unrest nationwide with police officers, um, doing nothing about it. I mean, they were out, they were actively held back and, uh, people were allowed to riot and loot and, there was all sorts of general lawlessness. So a, the, a lot of what people were concerned about when they bought their, when they started buying their firearms. So, uh, um, so heavily in March, um, you know, they were worried, worried about, uh, police being sick and not being able to keep up with, you know, keep enough cops on the street. Uh, people were worried about that, but then he threw on, on top of it, the, the general civil unrest situation, um, and what we've seen in a number of cities nationwide and now with the defund the police movement, right. um, it, it, that's only fueled the fire, uh, of demand, uh, for all things gun, as I'm sure you've seen, yeah. um, you know, gun stores just can't seem to keep their, their shelves stocked. Uh, they sell everything they can possibly get their hands on. Ammunition is very difficult to get a hold of. Um, if you're a reloader, um, that's starting to uh, get very difficult. I understand that primers are extremely difficult to uh, to access right now. It seems like um, uh, the makers of primers are probably using everything they can get to make cartridges. You know, Winchester and Federal are the two big primer makers in the country. And I think they're using most of what they manufacture in terms of primers, um, to make, uh, uh, ignition. Um, I'm sure some on as components, but, um, you know, even the reloaders are having difficulty now getting, getting, um, getting components. You know, and, and when we, when we first talked I mean, back in March and, you know, we weren't, you know, the only ones who saw this type of commentary, but you know, there were a lot of people like, oh, you know, all these first time gun buyers, I can't wait till this summer when they all show up in pawn shops. And my goodness, it is not 
happened, uh, you know, in the slightest bit. And if anything, it's increased. I mean, I know, I think it was just, um, just this week, everybody got their official data about, uh, you know, gun sales in 2018. Um, so, and, and then if we just look in our interior sales, you know, in 2019 versus 2020, I mean, it's everything. It's not just full firearms for us. It's, it's parts, it's accessories. I mean, it's, it's everything. Um, and even some of our, you know, outside folks, you know, we, we do some work with American outdoor brands, you know, Crimson Trace and those guys, and even they have some trouble keeping up with things. Wheeler, Tipton, uh, gun cleaning supplies, you know, there, there's, they're having trouble keeping up, which in one respect you go, okay, well, here we go. We're, we're kind of ushering in this new community and there's more people coming. It, it, and I don't say this tongue in cheek. It is sad that it's had to come to this to get people, you know, more people from the outskirts kind of into the community, but we're definitely not seeing that initial decline that everybody was saying, you know, you know, wait two, three months and all this stuff's going to be in a pawn shop. That's just not happened at all. No, no. And I don't have any expectation that that's going to happen. I also don't have any expectation that the demand is going to uh, reduce much, if at all, between now and November. Um, Right. uh, You know, with the uncertainty about the the national uncertainty as to to what the outcome of the election is going to be. And, you know, if, if, if if it goes, if it goes one way, you're going to have a push for more gun control. If it goes the other way, I have a, a lot of people expect that you could see more rioting um, and more more unrest, Absolutely. Um, more burning, more looting. So there's no incentive there for people to stop um, stocking up um, anytime soon. I, I just I just don't see it. Um, I think people are going to continue to buy all the ammunition. Certainly, ammunition they they can get their hands on. At some point, you, I guess you would reach a saturation level on, on firearms, but we aren't anywhere close to that. I mean, you figure the official number that people throw around is 100 million gun owners. Um, that was before the surge. You know, supposedly there are anywhere five, eight million new gun owners that have been added since. There's a lot of headroom still there and a lot of people uh, you still read accounts of people who never thought they would ever buy a firearm and never, they never wanted a gun. They never want to even think about having a gun. They're buying guns now. Um, and, uh, you know, you hear, you hear these stories over and over again. We've run some of them on our side. And if you've spent any time on social media, you see them, uh, people who were frequently middle of the rotors and just never even considered it. Sometimes people even who are actively anti-gun, but they see what's happening and they want the ability to protect themselves, to protect them, their families. And, um, you know, uh, it's, um, you know, in one way, that's certainly good for the, the, the gun rights movement, I suppose. Um, and there's a lot of speculation as to how those people will behave down the road. Will their new gun ownership affect how they vote, how they, how they value their Second Amendment rights? That remains to be seen. Yeah. And I, and I think too, a part of it that comes to mind for me is back when we did our original first episode of, of the podcast in February, uh, my, my friend, John, who's, uh, one of our uh, sales folks here, uh, he and I did the show for the first time. And we were talking about, if you look at 
pretty much any data about feelings towards gun ownership, obviously pre-2020, there were a lot of folks who just, they weren't opposed to it. They just didn't happen to own one. And then it was right. either, it was either like a, a felt need thing, or it was, I didn't really grow up with one or I feel exactly. pretty safe, you know? So it, there were a lot and it, and it really covered both sides of the political spectrum with the largest swath of that being people who don't, you know, sway to one side or the other. They're legitimately middle of the road, you know, not saying sure. they're independent or libertarian, but people who don't necessarily subscribe to the two party system or who aren't diehard, you know, one way or the other, it was just a lot of felt need, you know, I might buy one in the future, but I don't know. I just don't feel the need for one right now. And obviously that, that felt need has increased. Right. Uh, these are the people in, you know, the great middle, the people who sway elections, the people who are busy living their lives and who, you know, they go to work and they're busy with their kids and, you know, they've got other considerations and it just never, it was never anywhere high on their priority list. Yeah. Uh, but when they see what they've seen on their TVs the last six, eight weeks, they see um, um, lawlessness. They see, you know, businesses being destroyed. They see cities burning um, in, in areas, um, or if, you know, and we've heard from, from minority people too, uh, there are minority people who feel, um, um, concerned, um, whether it's justifiable or not. Um, the, the narrative is out there that, uh, police are, whether the, while the data isn't there, the narrative has been sold that police are, uh, um, are being violent with or are disproportionately violent with minority uh, people. Sure. And those people are going are buying firearms too. Right. Um, and uh, so there's a variety of motivations uh, among people who never thought before that they would own firearms and they're doing it. Yeah. And I think, especially when we're talking about the fact that, you know, I, I personally feel, and I don't necessarily speak on behalf of Faxon on this, this is my personal feeling is just, you know, especially when the police feel like they're hamstrung. You yeah. know, if, if, you know, uh, I'm a native of Columbus, I live here in Cincinnati now, but I still follow a lot of Columbus news. And so they had the one, two punch of, well, you're Columbus, you're named after Christopher Columbus and all those statues and things are coming down yeah. and riots in front of the state house. And, you know, one of the things that happened just a couple of weeks ago, I, I believe uh, CPD had a Lieutenant out that had to report on it, but, you know, there were folks that, you know, on Father's Day weekend protesting in front of the state house and the police are just asking them, you know, hey, stay on the sidewalk because you're on a crazy busy thorough street. Um, yeah. And, you know, someone chucked a rental scooter at a couple of cops, you know, yeah, and this was after exactly. they were told, hey, police, don't wear your right gear anymore. Don't, you know, don't, you know, deploy, <laughs> you know, tear gas or whatever. All the, all those different things where they really wanted to step it, you know, they wanted to try to, like you were saying, step the narrative down a notch and step the optics down a notch. Um, you know, because a lot of people, they, they just see police in riot gear and they assume the worst, you know, they assume it's RoboCop or something, you know, it's, it's, right. Not, you know, not necessarily thinking of their protection. Um, and, and I don't think there's really anybody 
left in any of these conversations that doesn't go, yes, there are, you know, there have been police in the past that have, have done things they, they shouldn't have done. Um, of course. And, and I don't think anybody's arguing that point, but it's, it's the narrative that gets pushed forward. And for those who are trying to protect, you know, they, they get thrown under the bus as well. And it, and it hits home for me personally. I have family members and close friends who are police officers and have been for a long time. And so, you know, again, knowing I'm, I'm not from a minority group, I can't speak to that, but it's still, it, it, it puts a little bit of a tinge on you when you see like, gosh, like these guys aren't even able to wear the things that are supposed to protect them, you know, in these situations simply because of the optics of, of the situation. No, exactly. And the, <laughs> Among any population in any group, you're going to get a minority of people, a minority that is bad. You're going to get the cops. There, there are there's some bad cops in any group. Um, the vast majority of them want to do their job, want to protect the citizenry and do it uh, the best way they can. Um, the the narrative that they're out there um, as a racist white supremacist force uh, in order to oppress the country's minorities is uh, a lie. Uh, it's not borne out by the statistics and it's not borne out by, by facts. Um, but facts don't seem to matter much anymore. Um, that narrative is being sold by a lot of people, uh, many of whom are in the media. Um, we had the example of last week or the week before of, um, a couple of researchers who did, um, uh, did a significant amount of, uh, um, analysis of fatal police involved shootings, um, to see if minorities were, uh, overrepresented or, um, among the victims. And they found out that they were not, this was something that was published back in 2019. Um, now given the current situation, uh, people were starting to cite their work. Um, and those academics were being attacked because their results and their data countered the narrative. And as a result, they pulled that back and disavowed their own research. Uh, yeah, there's there's a that, lot of there's a lot of social pressure and sidestepping right now. Yeah. In in a lot of regards, you know, I, I think one of the things that, that we've seen, whether it be, you know, like you said, whether it be, you know, gun data research to, you know, brand mascots and spokespeople, <laughs> you know, and, and football yeah. teams included. It, it's just like, OK, it's hot right now and I don't want to fall. You know, and, and, and at the end of the day, if I'm just thinking business, I don't necessarily blame those people. If, if you think that you are next, you know, like if Lando Lakes thought they were next or Aunt Jemima thought they were next or, you know, the Washington Redskins thought they were next, you know, whether it's born out of uh, integrity and, and, and them actually saying, you know what, we don't think this is right anymore, or it's being born out of 
Oh my goodness, we've kind of been under the microscope for this before, and now it's a really, really hot time. Uh, it's it's time to you know expedite those decisions. Um, you know, I, I think it is. I think a lot of people are just feeling the pressure, and and they don't want to be you know the the first ones to or the next ones rather you know to fall because of it. No, uh, no, no business owner wants to be the target. Um, and the trouble is, once these things start, they don't stop. Uh, we saw this during the French Revolution, and we saw it, <laughs> and we are seeing it now. Um, you know, initially they were just after the Confederate uh, statues um, because these were slave owners and these were um, traitors to the, the United States who fought against the Union. Uh, now we're down to pulling down statues of Frederick Douglass. Um, we're down to pulling down statues. People are talking about pulling down statues of. Um, uh, President Lincoln, who freed the slaves. Uh, there was a statue of a moose burned in um, Portland. I'm not sure what the justification <laughs> was there. So yeah. once it starts, these things are difficult to stop. Um, and uh, it's hard to get these things under control. Well, let's let's kind of take a, a little bit of a trip down that road as it comes to, you know, the the gun ownership and how people are protecting themselves and, and kind of, you know, re responding to this. I mean, we've already established that, you know, there's concerns. Originally, there were concerns with the pandemic. Now there's concerns with defunding of the police and also police feeling hamstrung. I mean, I'm sure you saw the same, you know, video of that, you know, that day after after in Atlanta, um, you know, where dispatch was calling out and nobody was responding. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's scary. And there are people, innocent people who, who want and need, you know, to, to protect themselves. The thing that, you know, I knew that you were pretty in tune on when we last talked, it was some of the kind of wait times and things that were happening, especially in places like Chicago, who, you know, some of these, or some of these cities and states that have some of the strictest gun laws in the country, you mm -hmm. know, what have you seen has been happening in those places? is because from, you know, a, a layman over here, who's just a marketing guy, I see a lot of stuff where it's like, you know, it seems like the, the violent crime uptick in Minneapolis, in Chicago, in these kind of metro areas where especially police are under the microscope, that it, it's really, if anything, has gotten worse. That's what we're seeing too. And, and it's, it's the cities with the biggest, um, the biggest upticks in violence uh, that are the first ones to get on the defund the police bandwagon. So uh, you, that's why you've seen New York City cut a billion dollars out of their the the NYPD's budget. Um, you've seen it in Seattle. You've seen it in Oakland. You've seen it in Chicago, um, uh, San Francisco, San Diego. It's happening everywhere. It happened in Norman, Oklahoma. Mm. Um, uh, I just read uh, this morning. Um, and there's now a move to recall the city council and the mayor because of that. Um, so it's happening all over the place. And this is what people are seeing. And this is part of the motivation behind uh, so many people making sure that they have uh, the tool to defend themselves because they they can't rely on the police being there or certainly or, 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 or getting there. And it's it's always been the case. As we've pre been preaching for years and years, you are your own first uh, first responder. Right. Um, in the best of times, you know how fast could a cop get there? Five minutes. That that's like that was world class. That was that was uh, uh, state of the art response time. 
Um, I have, and, but, and that was in just a few, a few instances, bigger cities. It's usually seven, eight, nine, ten minutes. I have to believe those are that's significantly higher now, given uh, what they're dealing with on the streets, given the fact that there are fewer cops on the streets uh, in a lot of places. And if they're not, they're going to be, they're going to be fewer soon uh, as these budgets are cut and um, resources are funneled to violence interrupters, community uh, organizers and other utopian methods that are going to be tried to reduce violence on the streets. You know, I, I think one of the places that, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who think that um, everything happening in Seattle with CHOP or CHAZ or whatever the acronym is now, you know, is, is almost like a social experiment, you know, that, that, uh, that it is kind of a planned thing. It's like, okay, we'll back out and let's see how this works out for you. Uh, mm -hmm. A couple of weeks ago, you know, we had uh, Rugi on who was uh, the, you know, the former Marine who, you know, disarmed the folks that were taking the rifles out of the cruisers and everything and made the news for that. And, and, you know, even he said, he goes, I, I was there, there were a ton of police there and sure. they started backing out. Yeah. Um, and so that I think is going to be the microcosm, uh, that, that everybody looks at and goes, okay, like you want to try it, you want to annex, you want to have police. And, you know, the thing I don't understand still is like how, how you still getting utilities and things like that. But, uh, you know, like what, how is that going to work out? What does that really look like? And then obviously we've seen, you know, we've seen the reports of, of violence in those places and, and the dangers that are in those places, you know, do, do you think that the, how do you think that Seattle, a place like Seattle, a place like Washington might respond after this gets cleared up? Cause I, I, I don't know if I see it staying in autonomous zone after the election, regardless of, of who wins out. Um, no, I mean, obviously they cleared out the chop. Um, you know, the, 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 the choppers, the Chapanistas made Chapanese. the mistake of actually marching on the, uh, the mayor's home. Um, and as supportive and as coddling as she was, that was a step too far. Therefore, they had to clear it out. The fact that we were getting shootings there every other day or so and, the, and a few bodies and the wounded were starting to pile up. So she was becoming a national was becoming a true national embarrassment, let alone whatever other cr crimes were probably taking place there that we will never even hear about. For sure. Um, she, you know, she felt the, the pressure. I'm sure she was getting a huge amount of political pressure behind the scenes too, from the powers that be in Seattle. Um, it was a, a huge embarrassment for the city, and it's, it was a it was a festering sore in the face of a you know a beautiful a beautiful city. Oh yeah. Um, but it's also a city that is has been very accommodating to the people who are sympathetic to CHOP, to the defund the police movement, um, to the Black Lives Matter movement and people who, and, and you saw the result. You're absolutely right. It was a, it was a wonderful little experiment. It's too bad people had to be shot and people had to die right. during that experiment, right. but it was an experiment nonetheless. And we see how that turned out. Yeah. I mean, it's just literally, okay, you think this is ideal. Well, here it is. I mean, it, yeah. like at, at some point, like, you know, we'll just be, you know, here eating lunch or something. And, you know, and obviously we talk about this sort of stuff and we're just like, you know, 
do you do you did you give up your citizenship did you like what yeah. i mean at at what point is it just like gosh like this this isn't you you can't be like the kid who runs away from home right and you just pack up your suitcase with the toys you think you want to play with for the next day like it, there this could have serious repercussions for you uh, regardless of your immediate safety like what does that mean for you going forward what does that mean for you in in 5 years if it's gets cleared up on a job application. Hey, we noticed for like six months, were you out of the country? Were you, you know, <laughs> what, what, what is this? You know, they, we're always worried about gap in employment. What about a gap in citizenship? You know, like how does, how does that even I think work? There was a lot of long range perspective that went into the thinking behind shop and all that. Yeah. Um, but I find it interesting that this, that the, the people um, who are sympath- sympathetic to shop and sympathetic to the whole defund the police movement, um, are some of the first people who call for the police during um, when something bad happens. This, this happened just a couple of days ago in uh, South Carolina um, at the Capitol. Um, there, was, there, was a, there were some marchers in front of the Capitol because I think it was the five-year anniversary of them removing the Confederate flag from the Capitol dome or something like that. And uh, we wrote about this and, and, and a, a man drove up and... and got into an argument with these people and displayed a gun mm-hmm. stupidly pointed a gun at, at these people. And this was all caught on video. And the first thing these marchers did was call was, was, was say officer officer. He's got a gun. Yeah. These are the same people who are calling for police to be defunded, uh, disbanded, eliminated. Right. Who are they going to call down the road if they're successful and something like that happens again? Uh, again, I don't think a lot of long range thinking goes into, into these, uh, these plans of theirs. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and the thing that I think is important to note, uh, is that I truly don't believe that the boundaries on those movements and on those thoughts are limited to one side of the aisle or the other, even though yeah. it may skew one way. I mean, this, this is really found kind of a, a different polarization, uh, in the community, uh, in the, you know, in the U S in general, you know, so I, I just want to be clear just just, you know, for our watchers and listeners, I mean, I'm not necessarily an apologist, but the fact of the matter is like, you know, hey, there's people on both sides of this argument that straddle the political divide, that ride either side of the political divide. This has become, I think, way more than political because like you said, it's a it's about narrative. You know, this isn't about this isn't about a, a campaign, you know, a stumping post. This isn't about what platform, you know, does your party run on? This is about social perception. And in the age that we live in, it's no longer about giving somebody the truth. It's about having to debunk what they originally thought was the truth, um, you know, before all, you know, the facts and, and things get out. That does not mean that people like us don't agree that there are definitely problems. There are absolutely problems in the community. There's, there's, there's folks, like you said, there are folks, you know, in policing that, you know, have made terrible decisions or maybe shouldn't be there. There's people clearly in, in politics that have done the same and in any walk of life. But what you brought up, though, was, you know, the 
about the uh, folks in South Carolina and seeing someone, you know, pull a weapon. I would be remiss if I didn't ask about your take on everything that happened in St. Louis uh, with the couple that then became kind of infamous overnight. It it was like that. And all of a sudden I'm seeing, you know, custom Cerakote and laser shops, you know, putting silhouettes of these people in their Ralph Lauren and khakis, you know, on pistol frames. You know, what what do you kind of what were your insights on that? And, And secondly, I think people like me, you get scared because you see people, you know, gun owners with regular license registered firearms are getting their homes raided. You know, what are, what are the kind of, what have you heard about that? And and are there any layers you could pull away from it? Well, I'm from St. Louis and I know that area really well. I know that specific neighborhood. And as soon as I saw the video, I knew exactly where that happened. Oh, um, <laughs> I've been in that neighborhood. I've been in homes in that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, it, it, St. Louis has a unique uh, structure in that that is what's known as a private neighborhood. And in, in, in the under uh, Missouri law, you're not even allowed to walk through there, drive through there without the invitation of a, uh, of a resident. Um, uh, so those people were truly trespassing and, um, both of the McCloskey's can be, um, can be criticized for their gun handling, their safety. Uh, Mrs. McCloskey in particular stood there and, you know, muzzled people directly Mm. with her finger on the trigger. It was a gun safety nightmare. That said, if you were, if you, if you were uh, one of those two people and seeing what you'd seen in St. Louis and every other big city in the country over the last few weeks, and all of a sudden a large crowd of people breaks, breaks down a gate and enters your neighborhood, and they are literally the first house you come to through the gate um, uh, off King's Highway through, um, where, where those people entered the neighborhood, you'd be concerned too because you don't know you didn't know where the, that they were headed for the uh, the mayor's home you didn't right. know what they had planned um um so they were on you know while while the the situation in charleston or uh, in south carolina at the capitol um was one thing where a person went out of their way and, and displayed a gun at people sure. somebody were arguing that yep. was stupid these people however were on their own property were defending their own home um and it was reported um, uh, by a number of outlets that uh, some of the marchers, in response to seeing these two people with firearms in front of their home, you know, they got it. They got into it verbally. They threatened to burn the house. They threatened to kill their dog. That type of thing. Um, and uh, so I, I'm generally supportive of what they tried to do. I'm not necessarily supportive of how they tried to do it. It'd be nice if they oh, yeah. uh, handle their gun more guns more safely. Uh, but they were defending their home um, and they have every right to do so. Uh, and those people were trespassing in the neighborhood. Um, so. And how would you, I mean, how would you rate kind of how St. Louis is as far as gun ownership and gun laws in general? I mean, are, are they kind of more on the, you know, the side of where it's, it's generally a norm and it's relatively, you know, non-cumbersome or is it more of like a Chicago situation? No, no, no. Missouri is, has wonderful gun laws. Missouri is a uh, constitutional carry state now. Um, and they have preemption. So the city of St. Louis or Kansas city 
can't enact any laws that are more restrictive uh, than the state level. Um, so uh, uh, I live in Texas now, but uh, uh, Missouri has better gun laws than, uh, than, than we do here. So um, that almost seems mind boggling. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah. What was disturbing then was of course, you've got a, a, highly politicized uh, prosecutor in St. Louis who after, after the rioting in the city, she let all the rioters and looters go without charges. She didn't prosecute any of them. This, in this case, however, she stepped in right away. So we saw the, the St. Louis police execute a warrant the other day and seize the rifle that uh, Mr. McCloskey used. Um, and I won't, won't be at all surprised to see that uh, if uh, she files charges against them as well. I mean, what was the, so then what was the certification of, of the warrant? Do we know that? Do we know, was it just because they brandished a weapon or was it because, or did I, they find I some other thing? The, I think it was part of the investigation, you know, um, uh, I th I think it was a sop to the community on the part of uh Kim Gardner, the prosecuting attorney. Um, uh, so she wanted to show that she's doing something, um, even if she chooses at some point not to, not to bring charges. Um, and I think it was uh, probably an intimidation factor as well. Um, she, she's, Gardner has all kinds of problems. She's not popular. The, the city's police did not like working with her. She's had over a hundred percent turnover in her department in terms of all the, uh, the uh, attorneys who work in her office. Uh, so I, I've kept a close, pretty close eye, eye on what, what happens in St. Louis because I still have a lot of family there. Um, and uh, she is, she's one of the worst prosecutors in the, in the, in the, uh, in the U S um, she's up there with Kim Fox in Chicago. It's not a good situation. So you don't want to be in her sights. Um, and the McCluskey's are squarely in her sights these days. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think if we could take away, you know, anything from, from our conversation right now, the, the big deal is that like, listen, just because you're a gun company or a gun blog or whatever, doesn't mean that you agree with everything that, you know, gun owners are doing or how, the, yeah. you know, how they, how they handled the situation. And, you know, they, there's a lot of, you know, lumping in of, of stereotypes the same way we're seeing, you know, with police, the, the same way that we're seeing, you know, with, with folks and the BLM movement, you know, I, I think there, there, there are some folks who really maybe aren't quite as extremist as it gets painted, but obviously who gets highlighted. Um, and, and the same thing with, you know, the, the other folks in these communities that, that, you know, feel some sort of call to be like, well, you know, I'll, I feel like it's my, my civil duty to be part of these protests or, you know, I, I knew someone who X, Y, Z, you know, they, there's, there's just so much social pressure on it right now. And I mean, it is such a perfect storm. I know that, you know, conspiracy theorists are having a heyday uh, with, yes. with 2020. I mean, with just COVID hitting and then all the civil unrest and everything that has happened in the wake of the, of, uh, you know, the, the issues in Minneapolis and, and Atlanta. And then on top of that, you have an election year and it's <laughs> one of the, you know, the most palpably tense ones, you know, that, that we've ever seen. And I just think that there are, 
we need to understand that even in the gun community, that, that there are nuances and there are going to be differences of opinions of, of how people deal with things, how people address their Second Amendment rights, how people, you know, decide, you know, what political causes and things that they're going to support. You know, we we don't all belong on the other side of, of the populist narrative right now. I, I hope no, that you can't can see you that can't pigeonhole people that way. Yeah. People aren't that easily quantifiable classifiable um, uh, can't, can't be fold spindle and mutilated that easily um, they fall they have different things that matter to them not every gun owner is a uh, single issue voter there are other things that that uh, um, they care about besides uh, the Second Amendment they may care care about certainly about the economy um, you know they may care, care about foreign policy and they care about abortion you know, everything under the sun yeah. so you know everybody thinks that uh, every gun owner in this country is an old fat white guy um, who uh, belongs to the NRA and um, um, well, and assumes and vote, that they buy it all, Yeah, that they buy it all hook, line, and sinker. You know, right. that it's going and to that be just that whole thing. Isn't the case. In, um, and you know, I think it's it's funny. Our, our friends over at Pew Pew Tactical uh, put out an article earlier this week, just highlighting, hey, here's some celebrities you may not know, or actually gun owners and kind of two way activists, and that's always an interesting one to look at. And sure. uh, you know, some of the ones that I think people forget about are, you know, like Whoopi Goldberg. You know, I'm I'm pretty sure she was or is a, a member of the NRA, which that'll, you know, blow the minds of a lot of people, <laughs> uh, you know, but even down to, you know, even today, you know, we, we were talking to, to some other folks about a project like guys like in the younger generations, like, you know, the Post Malones of the world, you know, are 2A activists and, and or at least 2A supporters. And so I, I think there's a lot of things that you, you can't necessarily pigeonhole unless you two want to be hypocritical about, you know, people taking stances on different social issues. This yes. is just going to be, you know, it's just going to continue to evolve, especially if the folks who are new to this community because of the pandemic, because of the social unrest or what have you, they're going to, you know, melting pot this community even more than, than we've ever seen before. Yeah, I think it, it, I, it's true. We've always taken the opinion, the opinion, guns are for everybody. If you want to own a gun, you you can do it legally. Do it. Um, we love to have the more, the more the merrier. The more people who own guns and shoot them and um, um, uh, enjoy them and value them, the more people who are there, the more uh, supporters and protectors of gun rights they're going to be out there. And that's a good thing for everybody because as we've seen, as we've seen since what 1992, uh, as the number of civilian-owned firearms has doubled in this country. The violent crime rate has and stayed at a, a, an historic low. Um, um, and, uh, you know, you, you, it, until recently, um, yeah. it, uh, you know, you, despite what you heard uh, from the gun control industry, um, we, have, we have a a, a, we had a very peaceful country here um, with a huge number of firearms and uh, very few people who use them criminally right. uh, and a lot of defensive gun uses every year. Um, so it, it turned out that an armed society truly is a polite society and gun owners are among the most peaceful and most law abiding cohort, cohort in the population. Um, 
and things are changing a little bit now, which is why so many more people are choosing to become firearm owners. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I love your insight. Love your content. Uh, I'm sure we'll be checking in <laughs> as, as this stuff continues. Uh, but before we go, uh, how about you just remind uh, our audience where they could find out more about you and, and more about TTAG? We are at truthaboutguns.com. We're on Twitter at GunTruth. We are on Instagram, I think at GunTruth too. And uh, the Truth About Guns on, on Facebook. And um, uh, we welcome all comers. Excellent. Uh, as always, we will have links to uh, Dan's information as well as all the stuff about TTAG and the articles that were mentioned today in the blog post for this episode. So that'll be at factsandfirearms.com slash blog. And you can check us out on all of your favorite podcasting apps as well. Dan, thank you so much for being on today. Thanks for having me, sir. All right. Thanks again for watching. As always, you can find more information about all of our guests, all of the episodes, and find an archive of all of our episodes at factsandfirearms.com slash blog or on your favorite social media or podcasting app. We would love for you to hit that subscribe button, give a comment, refer a friend. Uh, we love growing this community. And also, we'd love to hear from you. Don't forget that you can now start giving your comments, questions, feedback, and even ideas for the podcast by emailing podcast at factsandfirearms.com. Thanks again for watching, and we'll see you next week. We want to extend our deepest gratitude to military, police, first responders, and more by saying thank you with special pricing and discounts on all facts and products. Here's how you get started. First, you'll head on over to our website, factsandfirearms.com. From there, you'll want to click Support and Guardian Purchase Program in the drop-down. Then you'll see the instructions on how to get started, so let's just walk through those. First, you'll want to register for an account on our website. If you've already bought something from us on our website before, then this part's already taken care of. Second, you'll want to send a copy of your credentials or some reasonable verification of affiliation to customer service at factionfirearms.com. We get a lot of emails where people are like, hey, will this count? Will this ID count? Will this VA card count? Chances are, yes, a lot of them will count, but make sure you attach an image or a copy of that verification to the email before you even ask customer service. That way they can expedite the process for you. As soon as the account has been created or updated, we will send you an email letting you know that you're ready to go. The discount will be available anytime online when you go to your shopping cart. If you have any more questions, please email customer service at factsandfirearms.com. Hi, and welcome to Facts and Blog and Podcasts.